This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hello, and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. Growing veg in a small space is one of the first ways many gardeners get into growing. From a handful of radish or cut-and-come-again salad leaves in a container, to a pot of herbs on a windowsill, or new potatoes grown in a sack, it seems like everyone these days is having a go at growing crops at home. And there's no denying that homegrown always tastes better. Hello, I'm Adam, and today I'm chatting to Rukmini Ayer, a keen home veg grower who knows all about homegrown flavour. Rukmini is the author of the best-selling Roasting Tin series of cookbooks. Her latest, India Express, is inspired by her Bengali and South Indian heritage, and she's busy working on a new vegetarian and vegan cookbook. Since summer 2022, she's also had a regular series in Gardener's World magazine called Small Space, Big Flavour. Her series is all about growing really flavoursome veg in a small garden and sharing delicious recipes and inspirational tips on what to do with your harvest. I visited Rukmini in her South London garden to chat about how her growing adventures have unfolded so far. And we started by going back to her earliest memory of growing her own veg at home. During the summer holidays, I was a teenager with not enough to do. And I think my parents were on holiday. And I just got it into my head that I was going to nip down the garden centre, get some seeds and, and plant something. So my parents came back to find that I dug up a bit of their orchard and turned it into a carrot patch. And I had no idea what I was doing. It's really heavy clay soil in Cambridgeshire. And I just sort of very optimistically planted these carrots. And amazingly, I did get a harvest, but they were the wonkiest looking carrots, but I was very proud of them. And then later I learned you put a lot of sharp sand in. And since then, maybe 10, 20 years later, I've had quite good crops. What do you do with those carrots? Uh, I can't remember now. There's a picture of me like looking really proud uh, with them. I imagine we probably made some sort of carrot salad with them. So obviously we know cooking brings people together. Have you found getting into growing your own food has sort of opened up a new way of connecting with people? Definitely. 
it's a really nice thing to share with people. You know, when I've been round to friends' houses and, you know, their parents say, oh, look, you know, here's, here's a basket of plums for your parents. Or my mum's always got loads of apples from her garden. Um, and it's a nice thing when you've got a glut, you can share them. I feel like a high point of my very brief career in law was one of the partners just came in with like loads of leeks from his allotment. And I cycled all the way home with these leeks in my basket, feeling very like, look at me with leeks in my cycling basket. It was a nice... Uh, and it's nice to connect with people over growing and get tips. You know, people who come from loads of different walks of life have got different ways of growing. And you find yourself in conversations with someone's 80-year-old uncle about overwintering aubergines. It's, it's just really interesting. And you mentioned your parents. Do they grow as well? Do they have their own garden? Do they grow vegetables? Yeah, my parents are really keen gardeners. When they moved to this country, obviously, they didn't know much about gardening because, you know, they hadn't had gardens when they were in India. But um, my parents' neighbours, you know, one of them showed my dad how to properly mow a lawn, how to edge your how to edge your grass with one of those edges. And they got really into fruit trees. So now they've got a little orchard at the back of their house behind the bit of the garden that we weren't supposed to play in as kids, you know, the formal bit, and the bit we were allowed to trash. Um, and they grow apples, plums, pears. Mum's got a really nice herb garden now. And then all the ornamentals in the front garden. So they're, yeah, they're pretty keen. And the annual making plum chutney, apple chutney, pear chutney, that is a big thing. And and I kind of remember it growing up as something that everyone would get involved in. So when we had visiting grandparents, they'd be sitting helping peel the fruit, chop the fruit for the chutneys and or my dad would if we didn't have anyone visiting. So kind of a whole family thing. Now, have they been around here to see your garden and given you some advice, wanted or unwanted? Uh, yes, absolutely. When my dad comes, it's pretty much always, I'll just go and do some tidying up in the garden, which is very much appreciated because um, it always looks better. And he loves mowing the lawn. He's always, where's Tim put the key to the shed? I'm going to just mow your lawn for you. And I don't think it's one of those, you should be mowing your lawn. I think they just love to help. And compared to their garden, I think they like this sort of miniature doll's house garden that they can get stuck in with. Okay, I think at this point it would be nice for listeners to get a bit of an idea of what your garden's actually like. Could you yes. uh, walk us through the garden? I can. I heard a really interesting thing on uh, a podcast. It was probably the Cultivating Place podcast, which you, you probably know. And there was an interview on that when they talked about zones in your garden and how uh, the zone one is the closest to your back door. And anything that you actually like or want to eat should be closest to that because the further away it is from your back door the more likely it is you're going to ignore or neglect it and I'm I'm a quite a neglectful gardener I'm afraid so by the back door just here I've got this lovely potting table and I keep all the herbs on it so I can literally just open the back door you know grab oregano uh chives do we say oregano or oregano yeah oregano right it's Americans who say mm, oregano yeah, yeah. Herbs. Herbs. We've got the herbs all here. Um, and I've never managed to grow regular basil, but Greek basil seems to grow really, really well here. Uh, a couple of more unusual things. I've got some bronze fennel in pots. Uh, I've got some Korean mint, which is really, really nice. Lemon verbena, one of my favourites. It's lovely to be able to access those all easily. We've got some salad here that seems indestructible. It's just cut and come again salad leaves. And on it last winter, I mean, they just lasted, even though it was minus seven and snowing, and then, you know, snow cleared, they're still popping up. So this is pretty pretty tough leaves here. Not to eat, just tough. Uh, then around the corner here, I keep the peppers in pots just by the back of the house because the back gets sun all day. So they did really well last year, and they're looking great this year too. Uh, in these little cold frames, I keep my aubergines, 
already seeds that are coming on. So we've got some tiny aubergines coming through now. And then along this wall, which also gets quite a lot of sun, I've got these quite tiny pots because apparently tomatoes do like a bit of stress, someone told me. So they're quite small, sort of like one foot cubed uh, tomato growers. And I've got these lovely cordon tomatoes growing along here. And we got great crop last year. And it's looking pretty good this year as well, after I got some advice, which was keep feeding the tomatoes. Um, so yeah, that's that's just the decking. And then looking towards the back of the garden, I can spy you've got a raised bed there. What's, what's happening at the back? Uh, so yeah, my partner Tim made this raised bed for me from a kit. And lots of things are going on here. So we've got peas growing up this trellis at the back. So I've got some little pea sticks and then a nice sort of flat bit. Uh, peas are growing up here. Then next to it, we've got some beetroot coming on. Next to that, we've got some kale. Um, so this is the furthest away from the house and it also gets the least sun, which was a terrible place for a raised bed, but it's not a massive garden. So we had to put it somewhere. Um, so I do put things here that can just sort of get on with it by themselves. And then along this side, we've got fruit trees. So an apple has been here forever and that's a fan trained one. And this year I got a fan-trained nectarine and peach tree. So those are next to each other as well. Fingers crossed for a harvest from those. Since you've moved into this house, have you found it's changed the way that you cook at all? Has it given you a different sort of level of inspiration or has it affected how you develop your recipes? I think having the fresh herbs here and slightly unusual herbs has definitely changed how I cook. I don't have to just rely on, you know, regular, just boring mint and parsley and coriander from the supermarket. It's lovely to have things that are just a little bit more interesting. And I find I just cook with what's available more. So last year, I mean, I was cooking with tomatoes for months and months. And then once mine were finished, I was kind of like, oh, do you know what? You know, it's just nice to have them when they're in season. Um, so it's made me think more seasonally about what I grow. On the other hand, if I was really good, I'd probably be able to overwinter more things and have a year-round garden. That's the plan at some point. So the other thing that's actually really inspired my cooking, and actually, you know, this, this book I'm working on that's at quite early stages at the moment, you know, I've always focused on veg, but growing it to this extent, it's more than I've ever done before. And the idea that month by month I'm going out, getting things from the garden, thinking of things to cook with them. So, you know, I'm working on a, a really heavily vegetable-based book at the moment, um, and it's been lovely to be able to test recipes for that with things that I've grown myself. That's not something I've really managed to do before because usually you're, as a recipe writer, you're you're always writing out of season, which always sits a bit sadly with me. You know, I try never to, you know, cook asparagus myself for my family out of season, but I know if I've written recipes for asparagus, people may cook them at any times of the year with things from Peru and he's like no just just wait just have it when it's going to be British and seasonal so it's it's been really nice to be able to tie in my work in another way with the garden um, and sort of bring it back to you know what's nicest to have at which time of year it's just so much nicer than buying things packaged I sometimes do feel a little bit depressed when you you know go to the supermarket and everything is just sort of covered in plastic and it doesn't really have much flavor and it, it couldn't be more different the experience of picking something yourself uh, that you've grown and knowing that it's it. Yeah, like you said, it's absolute best. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Etsy. Sound the gifting panic alarm. You need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no, the perfect gift. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. 
Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Readers of the magazine would, of course, be familiar with your growing adventures as you've been sharing your inspiration and recipes. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more about that journey, what it's been like growing for the magazine? Oh, it's been terrifying. So I think I emailed you very optimistically saying, look, I've moved into this new garden, doing things from scratch, love to do a growing column. And then um, and then I had a baby and I didn't quite realise that I'd be handing the baby over to someone when she was sort of three or four weeks old, planting a few seeds, shoving like cling film over them, putting them in the windowsill and picking the baby up again because I knew we'd have a photo shoot in the garden and sort of like six or eight weeks time that I had to have something grown for. So in a way, it was wonderfully focusing to make sure I did plant everything that I'd planned out for the year, because I'm sure otherwise there would have been things that I just, you know, wouldn't have had time. So knowing that I had to have something ready for the whole team to photograph over the summer was a great way to get me growing things and, you know, doing them as well as I possibly could instead of just, I'm going to sit in front of the television and slump. What's been your biggest sort of surprise or discovery as you've been growing? I think I've been surprised. And this was the point of of the column was to, the point was to show how easy it is to grow in a small space with no time. And that has definitely been me. This is a small space. I haven't had very much time. And yet, you know, massive crops of tomatoes really very healthy aubergine plants, loads and loads of herbs, great radishes, great kale. You know, there's been ups and downs with what's worked and what hasn't, but I've been really surprised with what's done well with minimal intervention from me. So it really has, I think, been what I said on the tin this column. Um, if I can do it, like you can definitely do it and grow something amazing for your for your plate. And sometimes I think it's the the plants that you least expect to do well that surprise you and perform? Definitely. Um, I I didn't have high hopes of either the peppers or the aubergines because the first year I moved into this house, I brought a load of pepper plants with me from my old flat and I didn't get a single pepper. There were loads of little flowers and none of them took. I don't know if the journey to South London just did it for them. But these, you know, ones which were reared from seed here, they did so well. I had peppers for days and unusual peppers too. I grew these really cool ones called uh, Czech wax peppers. So they had this lovely white waxy look to them Um, and they were really unusual, really delicious. Um, So I was surprised by how well they did and getting a crop of, you know, like at least 15 aubergines for all the work was great. Um, uh, Despite every time we went away over the summer, being terrified that they'd dry out, sort of begging neighbours to come and wash them. It's a yeah, it's a full-time job. Sounds like you've moved into the point where it's starting to become a pleasure growing rather than... Yeah, I think it's the 
once you're out in the garden and doing it and you've got your hands in the soil, you're not supposed to do when you're pregnant, but it's really meditative and it's nice to forget that your kitchen's a mess and you've got, you know, emails to reply to. You're just out there and you can ignore everything, listen to the birds. It's, yeah, it is really a pleasure to be outside. And of course, new baby, newish house. You've got Pepper the dog. You've got your (laughs) busy, successful career. How have you found juggling all of that with you know, concentrating on your work in the garden as well and growing all these lovely crops <laughs> for, for us? Um, it's been really nice. It's been, uh, it's nice to do something different. Um, and it's nice also because this feels like it's definitely just something that I do. Obviously, I can feed the produce. You know, some of the first peas and tomatoes that my daughter had once she was six months old came from the garden, which was just incredible. That's wonderful. Uh, yeah, it was nice. And um, I was, you know, I'll remind her to appreciate that when she's older. But I've I've really just enjoyed having the opportunity to do something that I already loved, but do it in a more focused way. Um, and then it's amazing that it's transformed into like, you know, something that I could do for a magazine as well. We've gathered up some lovely harvests from your garden, Rukmini. I can see some beautiful tomatoes in front of us here. Can you tell us a little bit more about what we've collected and what you might like to do with them? Yes, of course. So I have got a lovely uh, mixed yellow and red lot of cherry tomatoes here. Now, I prefer to grow cherry tomatoes because I think the flavour for me has always been better. And also, I, I think I'm not confident enough to grow a large or, you know, those beautiful stripy or those big beefsteak tomatoes. I feel like I'm not quite there yet. But cherry tomatoes, I've always managed to do pretty well. Uh, they've got an incredible flavour. You know, you pick them straight from the vine and eat them and they're just gorgeous. And I like, the you know, it's nice to grow something a bit unusual. So these Galena tomatoes, they're the yellow ones. Uh, really pretty, really full of flavour. And in terms of what to do in the kitchen, it's kind of what not to do with them. Now that it's summer, you know, if I want to barbecue things, I've got a lovely dish that I do where I'll just put a load of these, once we're tired of eating them raw, popping them in a foil packet with some herbs, sticking that on the barbecue, um, some lovely fresh coriander seeds, crush them with a pestle and mortar, make a dressing with some lemon, olive oil, and I'm going to serve that with a burrata. And it's so, so nice. And of course, if you're vegan, there's some amazing vegan cheeses, including some that are made in South London here. And that would be an amazing centerpiece for these like beautiful barbecued roasted tomatoes. Otherwise, really easy to put them in a puff pastry tart. I have so many variations of puff pastry tart and tomatoes. The easiest one, which I learned when I was in my French exchange when I was about 15, roll of puff pastry, some really good Dijon mustard over it, put your sliced tomatoes on, basil, bake it. It's incredible and so easy. Or if you want to do a puff pastry quiche, you can do an amazing tomato and ricotta one. Again, maybe some fresh thyme. You can roast off your tomatoes first, or you can just put them straight in when they're this fresh. They'll be amazing. So many things to do. Sounds absolutely delicious. Ah, thank you. And we've got a little bowl of radish here as well. Any sort of ideas for what you would do with those? They look very, very fresh and appealing. Yes, radishes have been an absolute hero. I didn't realise how easy they would be to grow. Uh, I mean, there's something I'll definitely do with Alba when she's older. And actually, over the summer, I had friends around and I was serving them radishes from the garden and they were taking spare packets of seeds away with me so they could do them themselves. They were that good. Uh, and then I was getting text messages about 60 days later, being like, we've had our first crop from those seeds you gave us. And yeah, just keep it really, really simple with them. Um, one of the dishes I did for the magazine was a baked feta with hazelnuts and very finely shaved radishes and 
garden leaves, nice lemon dressing, or you can do them with, you know, any kind of like lovely yogurt dip, you know, serving them as part of a crudite platter. You can even bake them. Although I think with garden radishes, I'd probably rather have them in a raw dish. Um, there's a gorgeous rainbow tabbouleh that I like to do as well. So you um, just pop some bulgur wheat in a bowl of boiling water with some stock. 15 minutes, that's done. Slice up your radishes, get some pomegranates, get some avocado, make a really nice zingy dressing with loads and loads of herbs, indecent amounts of herbs. Mix it all together and it's it's really nice. The crunch of the radishes works so well. Herbs fresh from your garden naturally, because I know you've got plenty of, of those course, too. Of course, plenty of them, yes. And um, we've got some early courgettes here, some, some little baby courgettes. What about those? So I like to pick courgettes when they're really tiny because I feel like they don't have the chance to get big and woolly. Also, it's gorgeous to cook them with the flowers still on. If you're a fan of deep frying, the classic, stuff it with ricotta, dip it in batter, deep fry the flowers. You can do that with a little bit of courgette attached. Or uh, there's a really nice Jamie Oliver recipe actually that I've done where you, you stuff the flowers again, but you kind of cook them in a tomatoey sauce so you don't have to deep fry. Um, but yeah, young courgettes shaved into salads with fennel, parmesan. Um, if they're a little bit bigger... You can make a lovely melty sauce for pasta where you grate the courgettes into a pan, you've got garlic, you've got chili, just cook them down until they're kind of melting and then stir them through penne. Um, you can do that with orzo as well. So many things to do. I'm definitely ready for lunch after that. <laughs> so what's next for your gardening adventures? So future plans for the garden. Well, I, I feel like it, like with most people's gardens, it's going to be a really multifunctional space. I've got a toddler who wants to run around, a dog who wants to run around. There's me who wants to say, get off my dahlias, do not throw the ball in there, like stamp on that. So it's nice to have like this bit of lawn that's getting scruffy with all of the things that I grow around the edges. And it's nice to have the raised bed to keep some of the produce safe. I'd really like to get better at growing ornamentals and veg in the same beds. Um, I think when you came around, Adam, when we looked at the garden before the column started, you asked if I was only going to do ornamentals in the beds. And I think I'm a bit nervous of doing things like potatoes in there. It's like, that sounds like a lot of digging for me to have to put potatoes in. But actually, it'd be great for the soil. And I'd like to mix it up a bit so many of these vegetables are really decorative as well and yeah making a proper mixed borders of both that would be the dream yeah and it's i mean it's a great way to use every bit of space in a what is a fairly small garden yeah. like yours which many people have you know mixing the edibles and the ornamentals together yeah that's the plan and i've spotted your fruit trees these are yes. new right these are new yes thank you for the recommendation i asked you about them a few months ago i think it occurred to me probably recently that we have a lot of really ugly fencing, especially when the jasmine and the passion flower hasn't come out yet. Uh, and actually, I think I saw an article in Gardener's World, which was, well, have you thought of putting trees up against your fences? And it's a really nice way to cover them. And I love fruit. My daughter, Alba, absolutely adores nectarines and peaches. And what could be nicer than growing them? It's warm enough for them to grow in this climate. So thought it would be nice to give it a bash. And it sounds to me like you absolutely have to make a nice fruit chutney for your parents <laughs> just to have that full circle yes, moment. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Guys, you've only got plums and apples. I've got a glut of nectarines and peaches, fingers crossed. Here's your chutney. But otherwise, I think, you know, just doing them really simply, again, barbecue, just brush them with a little bit of honey, flash them on the barbecue to get some nice char on there. Um, and, you know, serving it with ricotta, ice cream, really easy dessert. Um, and... I, I think since I can't have glass houses like in, you know, those sort of big country estates where you have a peach house, 
it's never going to happen. So we'll just to see what we can do on a sunny London fence. Alba's a little bit young for gardening herself now. I mean, she loves putting her hands in the soil and then eating soil, which obviously fills me with dread. So, <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> not the kind of uh, gardener you want her to, to be, perhaps. Uh, but when she's a little older and starts uh, to get a little bit more interested in gardening, hopefully. What are you most looking forward to? I think that she will love growing things like peas and uh, courgettes, things where, you know, you plant plant the seed or plant the little bean and, uh, you know, within two days you've got a little plant. And do you remember at school, did you do that thing with sprouting chickpeas against yes. the glass? Like everyone does that. Um, but I feel like that's not as inspiring as something you might actually want to eat. You know, if I could tell her, look, you know, when this grows, we're going to go and pick it and we can eat it together. I think that would be really fun. I can't say the chickpea inspired my early gardening. <laughs> Whereas hopefully something that's a little bit more tangible for her. Well, I mean, she does love peas and courgettes. So, um, yeah, I think I think she'll enjoy it as an activity to get stuck into. My, my friends who've got young kids, you know, when I visit, I'll take little things like, you know, grow your own tomato in a tiny pot. And they, they love doing things like that. So... I'm looking forward to that and uh, she can help me harvest. Thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts and never miss an episode. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app.